through Acts. The book of Acts, it's in the New Testament. And we are continuing on in our story. Today, we're talking about leadership. And the sermon title is, Who's Leading? My wife and I uh, are blessed to be able to get away to a retreat, a pastor's retreat up at Hume Lake. We get to suffer for Jesus up at Hume Lake <laughs> once a year. And they feed us horribly. Uh, and over the past couple years, I've been taking my leadership team. Usually we take our staff with us, and, and we're, that's a big exciting part of today is that we're going to be voting on new staff and new leadership. So we're excited about that. Uh, but it's kind of hard when they just, you know, God willing that they get uh, voted in, uh, that, that uh, just finding out about it a couple or a week before the retreat uh, is a little hard. So they're probably going to join us next year. Um, but I started uh, last year uh, bringing our elders up. And uh, several of the free church pastors do that as well. Because leadership needs to be encouraged. It needs to be uh, nurtured. It needs to be uh, unified. And so one of the ways that they really work with us up at, at this pastor's conference is they have special uh, events, if you will, uh, to help us in that unity. And uh, I'm not sure I really buy into one of these things, but we, we tried it. Janine and I tried it a few years ago, and it's called ballroom dancing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike and Lynn did it as well, and a bunch of our friends, and I see that couple that led that every year, and they get the same response from me every year. It's something like an Old Testament curse, I think, is, is what I, I uh, disperse upon them. And, and the thing that Janine and I found was somebody's got to lead, right? I think we did a waltz. We learned how to waltz. Well, it was something like that. I think it was more like Walt Disney. Um, we we kind of learned how to waltz. And every once in a while, my wife will come back and she goes, hey, Sweetheart, you know, we, we learned, like, we'll, we'll have this song. We play a lot of, uh, uh, who's that guy from the 60s, 70s that had his own show? A one, a two, a three. Roger, who is that? Lawrence Welk. We do a lot of Lawrence Welk around my house. Uh, but just by chance, something, if something comes on, Janine will say, hey, let's practice our waltz. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it in my head. Okay, we're good. Right, but we learned real quickly that day, someone's got to lead, right? Because if somebody isn't leading, it's a disaster. And I'll just self-efface here, if I'm leading, it's a disaster. So today the idea is who is leading. And obviously we're talking in spiritual context. So let's pray that the Lord opens up our mind to what he has in the passage today. It is fascinating what the passage is revealing to us about the early church. So we'll pray. We'll do a real quick history of where we've been so far in the story. And then we'll see what we unpack for what God has today. Let's pray. Lord, 
as we dive into your word, encourage us. Speak to each person that's here today. Make this a powerful time of understanding and how this relates to each of us, whether we're in positions of leadership or whether we uh, are under uh, particular leaders. How do we see leadership? How do we evaluate leadership? What is good leadership? Thank you, Father, that ultimately your son gave us the perfect example of leadership. Guide our thinking. Open our hearts. Open our eyes to what you have today. In your name we pray. Amen. Hans Finzel said this about leadership. A good leader takes people where they would never go on their own. Right? Some of you have heard things like that. So a good leader takes people where they would never go on their own. So I'm going to remember that next time we have a debate as to where we're going to eat for dinner. Okay? I'm just going to quote Hans. There you go. Hans Christian Andersen, Hans Finzel. They're all good guys. Dwight Eisenhower said the following, and I'm reading a book right now called Three Days in January. Great book. Great book. Um, I, I don't like politics. I don't have a taste for it. And the more I'm reading about all of what happened with Eisenhower, the more I realize I really don't like politics. But if you want to do a quick study on leadership and understand how all of that works in, in the sense of conflict within leadership, cooperation within leadership, the courage it takes to stand as a leader in the face of criticism, and what strong leadership looks like. I encourage you, pick up that book. Dwight Eisenhower said this during his tenure as president. Leadership is the art of getting someone else to get something you want done because he wants to do it. Right? Nowadays, we just call that manipulation. Okay? That, that's good leadership. It's manipulating. One of the quotes that we hold to stridently here and where I really want us to go in thinking about leadership and evaluating what we'll see in the text today is a quote by Samuel Bringle and it's part of our vision statement. It says, a spiritual leader is one whose influence is felt in heaven and earth and hell. And with that, let me take us a little bit into the history of where we're going today. We uh, see that Peter heads out to the coast. The early church has started. Pentecost has happened. Incredible signs and wonders are going on. The church is growing by tens of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. And it's in God's strategy, it's not necessarily that it's just there in Jerusalem. God picks strategic times because he's a great leader. He picked strategic times where there would be an in-gathering around the entire Mediterranean uh, uh, coastline there into the in-gathering for Passover and for worship by all those that were converts to Judaism. And so as they experienced the day of Pentecost, then the church proliferated and went out from there. But many of them stayed in Jerusalem. You know the story that the Lord brought persecution through Saul. Uh, and so that Philip went down to Samaria, and then there were believers in Samaria. And then from there, uh, many other things happened. We've been talking about the conversion of Saul and what all has happened with him 
in, in looking at the early church and Saul's leadership turning into Paul and what God was doing with him. And that's been fascinating. But now we're shifting to Peter. And we did so in, in chapter 10. And last week we looked at how Peter's world and his whole worldview got rocked. His, did you see what I did there, right? You know, it says Peter rocked, got rocked. I just want to make sure you're, you're catching every little cheesy joke that I have today. So Peter's world got rocked in the sense of the, the cross and the resurrection. Everybody's world got vastly changed because of that occurrence for mankind. Your world has been changed because of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Amen? Vastly changed. And yet I would propose to you that what's about to happen is maybe the second largest change that's ever happened for the church. And you think about the message of the cross, you think about the power of the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit and how controversial that was and how dividing that was for people who said that they were seeking God. You think about the persecution if you were a leader at that time. The church was scattered because they were persecuted. You had people within your own quote-unquote party that were trying to tear you apart, tear the leadership down, always questioning the leadership. And we see that that doesn't really change. When you read through the epistles of Paul, Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, right? He's always having to give some kind of a defense for their message. Because there will always rise up a conflict and reaction against leadership. If you don't believe that, I want you to think of who is your boss. Who is your current boss? And what does that person just not get? Right? How much better could you do the job than your boss? Because you understand it so much better. Right? And on and on it goes. This is why, empirically, our children always believe they can do a better job parenting. Right? Do you see what I'm building here? Leadership will always suffer criticism. So what do you do with that? Well, you all know what to do with that. Don't lead. It's not worth it. <laughs> Except you have one major problem. God establishes his leaders. Amen? And when God calls you into leadership, you go. And if you don't go, you end up in a whale for a while. <laughs> so let's look at the text this morning. We're not going to read the entire chapter, and you'll see why. If you were here last week, this is almost a word-for-word -word verbatim of what happened in this process. Peter goes to Joppa. He's hanging out down there. We don't really know for sure why he's in Joppa. It's on the coast. It's just a little bit south, maybe 12 miles south of current Tel Aviv. And then Cornelius, an Italian centurion in the, in the uh, Roman army, is up in Caesarea. It was a Roman, Greek, uh, established metropolis city. Not one that's really on the, the tourist map for a good Jew. And God speaks to Cornelius in a supernatural way and gives him a vision and tells him, send people down to uh, Joppa, and there's a man named Simon Peter there. He's staying with another guy named Simon the Tanner, and you want to call him and ask him to come up. 
In the meantime, God's working in the background and giving Simon Peter a vision at the same time. God's all over the place, anointing and establishing his leaders. And he just keeps working the fabric and working the fabric. And so something supernatural happens. Peter shows up and he sees that the Holy Spirit comes upon these Gentiles. And the first Gentile church, churchancestry.com. That's our roots, folks. It was born in Caesarea. Our church was born in Caesarea. Otherwise, we would be in a synagogue right now. And Peter watches the establishment of Gentile believers, and it rocks his world. It flips everything upside down. But he knows what he sees, and he knows what he experiences, and it's irrefutable. That's the great thing about God. That's strong leadership, is that when the evidence is so strong, so empirical, you cannot speak against it. You cannot criticize it. But then something really common happens, and that's where we are today. And the beauty of all of that, which we talked last week, is you had this whole sense of nationalism and, and racism that was going on that Jews don't even sit and eat with Gentiles. It's not permitted. And yet, what does the end of the passage say? They invited him to remain several days. And he did. And that's where the separation, the dividing wall of, of that sense of, of nationalism or racism was broken in real time. But now we got to deal with everybody back home. And that's where we find ourselves today. So let's look at this and see if this doesn't remind you of a, a Southern Baptist committee meeting. Some of you just outed yourselves. <laughs> so on the screen, I'm only going to have a portion. So, um, and, and I'm only going to read portions, and, and then we're going to kind of uh, break this down little by little. I'm going to put this right over here to really mess with Brian later. So the first three verses that we're looking at here out of chapter 11 says this. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. What? Hebrew Twitter was blowing up. It was all over the place. Peter at the rock. Yo, everything's changed, guys. It's all different now, right? Upside down. How did they already know? You know, if you're an established leader, you can't turn sideways without somebody knowing and sharing. So it had already gone out. Peter's not even back to Jerusalem yet. And it's already traveling throughout all of Judea what Peter did. Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. 
First of all, how does this not sound like politics? Right? You got your Republican Party, your Democratic Party, and your circumcision party. No wonder everybody wants to be a Republican or Democrat these days. There is this party, and it's not like, woo kind of party. It is a group of people that say, this is what we're about, and you do not break from this. Hmm. Sounds like politics. As we look at this today, I want you to, in your mind and in your heart, think about what we have to deal with. In your homes, in your work, and in your church. And to what length would we identify with the circumcision party? Pastor, we heard you were playing guitar with drunk people at Toto Santos Park last week. Uh-huh. I was. As a matter of fact, I let one of them play my guitar and I prayed the entire time it would come back to me. Pastor, that doesn't fit with our party. We don't expect our leader to hang out with drunk people. That doesn't look good for us. By the way, first of all, that's not what this church would, would say. I'm using that as a straw man argument, aren't I? What do we say? What do we expect from our leaders, from our elders, from our deacons, from our Sunday school teachers? What is it that we will criticize over? Peter was fresh coming off the establishment of our ancestors. And what is the first thing that happens to him when he gets home? They're waiting. How many of you ever went home and you were out with your friends and mom and dad are sitting there waiting? Right? They're just sitting there waiting. And uh, you know Someone call you? Did you hear something? How, how did you know? How do parents always know? Peter gets back. And the very first thing we have in the text, it may not have been the first thing that happens, but the first thing we have in the text is that his own people were ripping him apart. And by the way, who did Christ establish as the leader of the church? Peter. You, Peter, will be called the rock. Your name will be changed from Simon to Peter, Cephas, Petra, and I'm going to build my church upon you. We'll get to this a little bit later on because it sounds like I'm establishing the whole argument for Peter and, and the Episcopos and, and uh, well, the Episcopos is real, the Episcopal sense of, of church leadership and Pretty soon I'm going to ask that you guys start calling me Pontiff, <coughs> Pontiff Jeremy. No, I'm not. We'll get to that later. What's that? Yes, PJ means Pontiff Jeremy, yes. No, Pastor Jeremy, please. Yeah, now it's PJP, Pastor Jeremy, please. Well, that's going to be good today, all right. So the news of the Gentile church went viral. We see that in verse 1. The circumcision party, it's this group that they're stuck in groupthink, and they're locked into this. And God's saying, no, I'm changing this, and I'm going to use my main leader, Peter. I'm going to teach him. It's going to be irrefutable. 
and then I'm just going to throw them to the wolves. And Peter, you're going to have to go back, and these guys are going to tear you to pieces. Oh, that we wouldn't be so common. They criticized Peter in essence. They, they criticized the work of God. But they did so in ignorance. And as we stumble through this challenge of leadership, I want us to remember the words of Christ on the cross. As he looks at those who were crucifying he looked at those who were mocking him. He looked at those who had nothing but evilness in their heart. And his response was, God, destroy them now, right? That, that was it? No. These words were uttered to a point that I can't fathom. I think it's one of the deepest statements in Scripture. I don't think I'll ever completely fathom what this means. But Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I don't know that I can truly or, or any other theologian or scholar or pastor could ever fully know the full landscape of what Christ meant in that. I'm not sure that we're meant to understand that other than to follow that example. And so looking at what's happening here, God has opened up a whole new thing. And the circumcision party is making statements in ignorance. And Jesus has already said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is our lot in life, folks. Most conflict you have with leadership happens because somebody doesn't know all the story. They don't know everything that's going on. And so you're just left to figure this out. The circumcision party, his friends, the other leaders in Jerusalem are sitting there trying to factor in. They didn't see any of this happen under God's authority. And they're thinking Peter threw a wishbone, man. This guy's this guy a little off. He has some bad fish in Joppa. What went on with you? And so, of course, they're going to be critical. There's a time and season for everything. So Peter gives a defense, and that's what happens in verses 4 through 16. But I want to focus real quickly on, on just these words right here, 11 through 15, if you will. All right? So he starts basically talking in a sense of saying... This is exactly what happened. Let me tell you, moment by moment, what happened. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second when it comes to the commonality of leadership. But let's look at the text. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, uh, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and were entered in, and entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us, at the beginning, and I remembered the word of the Lord. Now, I'm just teasing you with that verse 16. Let me show you what I want you to grasp from this. Does this sound familiar for those of you that were here last week? He's just kind of going through the whole story of exactly what happened. From the guys coming up to Joppa, and by the way, the preceding verses 2.11, he's talking about the vision that he had where God said, don't declare unclean. What I have stated is clean. He just gives every little detail. Did those people drive you nuts when you asked them a question? 
Well, I know there's several people here that, yes, and I'll out you, okay? <laughs> right? Because your pastor happens to be one that likes to be detail-oriented when talking through something. And, and, and some of you will say to me, just get to the point. Just get to the point. And you can hear the Judaizers, the circumcision party, sitting there going, oh my gosh, this guy's going on and on. Could you just get to the point? You know, sometimes you need to hear the whole story. Otherwise, you're going to remain in conflict with your leadership. Sometimes there are key things. And sometimes leaders need to just shut up and get concise, too. Okay, I'll, I'll admit that. You see how I admitted? How many of you are going to admit that you need to just listen to the whole story? I don't think so. Okay, let's, let's go to the point that I want you to see here. Peter goes to this great defense. Oh, here we are. Because the time is perfect for me to mention this. We as a society have eliminated, because we're so good at arguing and winning our side of the argument, that if somebody starts to become detailed about what happened so that their position is justified, they are now being what? Oh, say it louder and say it proud. Yes, you had it. Say it louder. Defend. You don't have to get so defensive. <laughs> yes, if I want to just cut someone off at the knees, they're making traction here. They're proving their point, but they're taking all I have to do is say, you know, you're getting really defensive about this whole thing. Yeah, of course I am. You go on, a, on the stand in the court, you have to be defensive. You have to give an account to what happened. This is what Peter's doing. And I can just hear many of us look at and, and hear what he's saying and saying, gosh, Peter, let's go. Land the plane, buddy. But he, the, the details are important. The details are desperately important. And let me show you why those details are important. Let's look at these parts in red. Can you see the red? Boy, that didn't come out very well. Um, then let me use this red. <laughs> see what I did there? That was really good. Look, magic red. The spirit. The angel, the Holy Spirit, that's just in four verses out of about a 16-verse narrative. Over and over, my point with this passage is simply this. We don't need to go through the whole thing because Peter's reiterating what we already studied. What I want you to see that's so important to what happens in this moment is that Peter is not talking about himself. He's not talking about, well, here's how I saw the whole thing, guys. And yeah, I was with you at first, and, but Cornelius, you know, they fed me really well. I got some great hummus with the meal, and it was all so good. And, and they were really, like, culturally sensitive to me, and, and I was buying into it, and none of that. He stuck to what God was doing. And he says over and over, and he's not making anything up. He's giving every detail that's going to help establish in the minds of those who are set, who are fixed, that it only happens this way. He says, no. Let me show you how, to great detail, God said there's a new way. This isn't coming from me. It's coming from 
spirit, angels, Holy Spirit. And later on, you see that he talks about the Lord as well. As a matter of fact, he quotes scripture. Peter lays out a clear articulation of what happened. He's focused on God's supernatural demonstration. He uses words such as God, Lord, Spirit, Holy Spirit in the retelling of the story. And then in 16, actually I, I skipped 16, I went right to 17 and 18. But in 16, let's look at that real quickly. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. Because he relies on exactly how the thinking would be by those of the circumcision party. They would rely on the irrefutable truths that they held dear. How much more irrefutable can you get than the words spoken by those that they revered? Whether it's Jesus or one of the apostles being John himself. And it says what? Uh, actually, Jesus himself. He says this in verse 16. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So not only is he helping them link the understanding that, guys, I did not fabricate this thing. I didn't make it up. I was a witness to it. I was a party to it. It happened. And this is where God was here. This is where God was here. This is where God was here. This is where the Holy Spirit was here. In all of this, you need to hear all of that. And by the way, what struck me, remember those words by Jesus himself, where he said, John baptizes by water, Every good Jew would love that. But I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, or you will baptize others with the Holy Spirit. And, and looking at that, he just gave testimony that Cornelius' house irrefutably received the Holy Spirit. What has he done? He's built a slam dunk case. And he took the circumcision party to a place where they could no longer get traction. Brilliant. Plus he had a lot of time to think about it coming all the way from Caesarea back up to Jerusalem. How many of us would do that? Right? You got to go home. You got to answer for something. You start working on your story. Right? Except Peter's story was revolutionary. Peter's story was from God. Peter's story was exciting, but it was going to change all their world. And therefore, part of the challenge in all that is that it challenged Peter's leadership. He says this, and I want you to see it. It's, it's very, very important, and I'm going to highlight it right now. If, God, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? This is brilliant leadership. This is godly leadership. To recognize when God is at work, it works against every agenda you have. It works against what you're comfortable with. It's going to put you into a, a, a bad position. But you know that God is at work. And because you know that God is at work, you have to help others see it. You have to help people understand it. And so he, what did he do? He, he took himself out of the equation. Who am I to stand in the way of God? What a great response. What a great response. Let's look real briefly at some things that we need to wrestle with for us today thinking about brilliant leadership. Number one, 
Peter demonstrates this brilliant leadership. And there's an argument and a fight that's happening with this group of Jews in Jerusalem. Now what has he done? That argument and fight before Peter arrived, they thought was completely against whom? Who? Who were they fighting against? Peter. Their whole thing is against Peter. That's where the criticism is directed. Now Peter, through brilliant leadership, has redirected them. And now who is their fight with? With God. Strong leadership. Strong leadership builds their arguments based off evidence like Peter did. Strong leadership builds its argument based on prophecy like Peter did. Strong leadership builds its evidence based on results. When you have those elements as part of what happens through a process of change, leadership can stand secure that God is going to do the work and that any wrestling, any effort, any, um, and this is what Saul had to deal with, right? When Saul is, is persecuting the church and Jesus shows up for his little epiphany time on the, on the road to Damascus, Jesus literally says to Saul, Saul, why are you doing this worthless effort that is not going to work against me? Now he uses the words, why are you kicking against the goat? Which simply means you're wasting your time trying to do this. You're not going to succeed. You're not going to succeed. And over and over we see in scripture where individuals want to fight against the will of God. And they don't succeed. When we have strong leadership. It's because that leadership understands what God is doing. And trusts in the message of what God says. Trust in the message of his principles, of his righteousness. Amen? And when we base our leadership decisions and our actions of leadership in that ether, we can be confident regardless of the criticism. In strong leadership, if you're a parent here today and you're in conflict uh, with your children, let them wrestle with scripture. Just guide them to the scriptural principles. If what you're asking doesn't fit with scripture, then you haven't done what Peter did. You didn't remove yourself out of the equation. You've got, you've got a horse in the race, don't you? So then you need to examine some of that. But the reality is, is that when we point people towards the principles of scripture who say that that's what they believe in, let them wrestle with God, not with you. That's strong leadership. Because that's what they should be wrestling with in the first place. Such a powerful statement when Peter says, I remove myself from the equation. That doesn't mean that he didn't lead. That doesn't mean that he didn't witness things. That doesn't mean he wasn't involved. It means he removed his opinion and his agenda from the equation. And therefore, God was able to work and God was able to teach him. A good leader is always a good what? Follower or student. So what happened? When they heard these things, they fell silent, right? Wow. How many of you would love to have every conflict happen this way? Here's your conflict management book right here, right in this verse. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? They fell silent. 
Because they suddenly realized, like Gamaliel said to his brothers in the Sanhedrin, guys, we've seen this, we've seen this, we've seen this. If this is a man, it's going to fail. Just let it go. But if it's of God, you will not win. Even Gamaliel understood this principle. In your home, in your personal life, in whatever position God has anointed you and placed you in, when it comes to being a leader, I encourage you, practice God's principles, live within God's will, and when you stand accused like Peter did on this day, make them wrestle with God. Not you. Not you. In closing, let's turn this around a little bit and look at some practical things. By the way, it wasn't that they just fell silent. Right? Have you ever been in that meeting? It never happens here. If you're visiting today, we're going to have a real quick vote today, later on. It, it, this will not ever happen here. It's, in the history of the church, I don't think it's ever happened. God forgive me if I don't know, and I'm speaking in ignorance. But, uh, of course it happens here. When some change is proposed, and people don't like that change, they might garner enough courage to say something, right? Maybe. And they have this idea in their mind of like the patriot or something and, or, or gladiator. Are you not entertained? I'm going to be the hero of this side in this argument. And people will rise up and start saying, Maxima, surround me, right? No, I don't think all that happens in your mind. But you do muster enough courage to stand up and say something for what your conviction is. And then sometimes things are brought up that you may not have been aware of. And sometimes things are just put out there and, and you're still not satisfied, but you what? You do exactly what happened here. You fall silent. We're still not within God's desired position when it comes to conflict within a body of believers. We should be unified. There should be no dividing wall. I'm going to take a moment here. One minute. And I'm going to encourage you because I've had four, three, four people reach out to me this past week about the politics of our nation. Some of you are more political than you are spiritual. You want to make this world a better place and forget about where you're going? I don't encourage that. I encourage you to look to where you're going and try to change the world in light of that. All right? Because then your foundation is right. But the other thing that is very important, let's be a little selfish here for just a minute. You don't get sucked into unnecessary anger, hatred, vitriol, and getting sucked into sometimes things that maybe you didn't have all the information. And you're like, ooh. Yeah, everybody knows I was like all, or everybody knows I was all against, or you know. But pastor, we should be involved. Absolutely, be involved. Get out there. Do something. But change someone's life. But here's what you need to understand. You live, I live in a sinful world. And if somehow you had some ideal that this was all going to be perfect, somebody fed you real estate in a swamp. It's not going to be perfect. There's nothing new under the sun. Ask Caesar how he feels about senators. 
There is nothing new under the sun. You want to change someone's thinking or understanding. Make sure that what you're changing it to is correct. Make sure that it's godly. Make sure that it brings life. But you and I represent Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not a political activist. Amen? He brought life to people. That's who we're supposed to be like. And so I got a bunch of people telling me, come join me for a march for DACA. Oh, that works great, because I just preached against racism last week. That's probably why I got so many invites. Then I got a bunch of people telling me, how dare you go march for DACA when they're trying to support something that's illegal? Oh, pastor, you went there now. How are you going to get out of this? I'm going to claim Jesus Christ. I'm going to claim the fact that I went to that same park this past week and talked to people and prayed for people, and it changed their lives. And I'm much more effective doing that than I am marching as an activist and getting caught in political nonsense. How I treat my Hispanic sister here, or how I, I treat my African-American sister here, in this real time, how I treat my Asian brother over here, that matters. How I treat my Arabic sister right here, that matters. And many of us will be quiet. And many of us will not engage with all the different races we have right here. But we'll go march somewhere or we'll get on Facebook and we'll proclaim our social justice elixir. You know why? Because it makes us feel good. That's the problem. Go change the world through Jesus Christ, not through some rant. Please, please, let's be a church that's about that. Well, that took three minutes, so I'm done. That was not on the list. I'm just blowing off some steam from this past week. Okay, so let's breathe through the stuff. What is your response to leadership? Now you're definitely going to go home with one now. <laughs> that was all just a setup for this. Do you follow leadership? Oh, I only follow the leadership I agree with. <laughs> okay, great. Because the early church didn't really take that attitude. The early church obeyed Christ. The early church, Peter was thrust into something he didn't agree with. It railed against everything he saw. And yet he couldn't argue against it. He said, okay, God's doing a new thing, and I'm going to take the heat, but I'll take the heat. You go, you go wrestle with God, not me. How are you and I at following leadership? Do we question leadership? I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Everybody should be held accountable, okay? Everybody should be held accountable. But when we unnecessarily question leadership, or the questions are framed because of our own personal agenda, or we just don't get along with leadership, or that leader is making choices that are, are despairing to me, then I'm going to not just question them, but I'm going to want others to question that leader. My wife 
was doing a vendor fair this past week. First of all, before I finish this, let me just say this. Our family, I'll speak for our family. I have one right here. <laughs> our family feels so supported and so loved here. I don't want to get confused by my next point. We feel so loved and supported here. This is truly a family, and it's our privilege to serve you. All right? If that requires leadership, then so be it, but we look at it as trying to serve you. My wife was doing a vendor fair this past week for her business of sewing, and she had an individual come up, and they started talking to me like, how do we know each other? And it's a local pastor's wife, and God bless this gal. She just broke down to my wife, and she said, I'm so lonely. I have nobody. I have nobody. Now, she knows she has Christ, okay? Understand that. But this is a church that's our size in, in our community, and they have people that disagree with leadership, and they move on. Those are close personal friends, and her husband's been attacked over and over and over again. You know, when you leave, whether it's in a pulpit, or whether it's at home, or at work, you're going to be attacked. It doesn't matter. They hated Jesus, right? Jesus said they hated me. They're going to what? They're going to hate you too. Understand that anything great or good doesn't come easy. And the beauty of leadership is when you're doing it in obedience to God, you just trust him for the details. We are not called to comfort. We are not called to convenience. And Peter certainly didn't shy away from walking right back to those who he knew were going to eviscerate and setting the bar right. So was he questioned? Yeah. But he gave a great answer, didn't he? Protest. And pro I already hit protest, so. <laughs> Cautiously support. That might be a good way to handle someone that you struggle with. Okay? I'm going to support because Scripture tells me that God establishes nutball leaders over me. I don't know what God's thinking, but, but God establishes these crazy, egocentric folks. Nobody had it worse than the first century church under Nero or Trajan or Domitian. Can I just hand that to you? Many go on, <laughs> many go on rants that... I don't even know what it is. The 14th Amendment rant that happened like three weeks ago, right? We need to get mentally check our president out. Well, everybody should be mentally checked out. But Nero would not have passed in any way, shape, or form. And yet the early church did not call for his ousting. They did not call for killing because they saw a home that wasn't here. They longed for a heavenly home. Amen? And therefore, they were able to live under a crazy leader. <laughs> Can I just encourage you to be cautiously supportive? Because somewhere in the mix of all of it, God's at work. Somewhere in the mix of all of it, God's at work. Recognize when God is working through someone. This is what happened for Peter. He's getting eviscerated. These guys are, are salivating. They, they've set forth the skewers, they're ready to, there's probably an argument over who's taken over by now. Right? And yet what happens 
is that they recognized, they fell silent about all their arguments, and then they glorified God. Because Peter did a great job as a leader saying, this is not my thing. You are in conflict with God. What is your response of leadership? So the first question was, what's your response to leadership? What's your response of leadership? Because each of us, in some way or shape or form, day in, day out, we have to lead, right? We have to lead. We have to make decisions, and that requires leadership. So do you react? Do you react in your leadership? How many of you, let's just, let's have fun. Come on, come on. How many of you are reactive in, in your leadership level? I am. And so you know what I do? I know that I'll get myself in trouble, so I work hard not to react so nothing gets done. How do you like that? I mean, that's, that's inefficiency at its best, right? But trust me, you don't want, I now refer to this as the other guy, kind of like Bruce Banner refers to the Hulk, right? You don't want the other guy, right? So some of us are just reactive in our leadership style. That doesn't get very far. Some of us respond, and that's a good, that's a good technique to be responsive. You've thought through, you've articulated things, you've considered, you've weighed, you've measured, you've prayed through things. You've considered scripture, like Peter went back and talked about the words of our Lord, right? Some of you like the idea when you think of leadership, you just think it's authoritarian. Now, when you are the leader, you don't think of leadership as authoritarian. But when you have to fall underneath leadership, you think of leadership as authoritarian. Right? That's, that's our nature. Good leadership is not authoritarian. What did Jesus teach Peter in the upper room? Unless you are willing to have this part with me, you cannot lead Peter. You cannot have any part of what I'm doing. Unless you're willing to humble yourself and serve to the point of letting me wash your feet, you cannot have any part of it. It doesn't sound very authoritarian, and yet it is. Authoritarian is a mixed bag of tricks. So here's my encouragement. What should your response of leadership be? Listen. Listen. Check yourself. See if your agenda is bleeding into your response or your reaction. And check yourself. What did Peter say? I checked myself. I removed myself from the equation, guys. I just became an observer. Respond for the need, not for your agenda. Sometimes our kids will be acting out in certain ways or, or functions, and this is the hardest thing as a parent, not to react to the immediate situation, but something's just twisted here. Something's out of character, and to have the wisdom and discernment and insight to say something deeper is going on. There's a, there's a need here that we need to address rather than my kids flipping out. And kids, same thing for your parents. When your parents are flipping out, right? Okay? And, uh, and it's just so out of characteristic for them. And, uh, and so just, you know, pray for them <laughs> and, and then think what is their greater need? Right? I had that moment last week. And Gentry was so great. We were sitting on the Barkley Lounge. I don't even know what was on TV. It was 11 o'clock at night. She decided to show up. You know, it was great. She came home 11 o'clock. That was great. We'll talk about that later. And uh, something fell apart. Oh, something literally fell apart. Our washing machine fell apart, and there was a flood. And um, I thought I'd participate symbolically with Harvey. 
And um, thank you. Somebody got that right before I got to the punchline. And, and so I just don't deal well with failure. And I thought for a minute it was because I didn't get the valve all the way shut off. And so I caused all this problem. And I'm just beating myself up. And so that translates over to all this other stuff. And Jen's coming home. And I find out that she needed something. I'm like, why didn't I, you know, I screwed that up too. And she goes, Jack, you didn't screw it up. You're a great dad. You, you really, you're the apple of my eye, Dad. <laughs> dad, I, I wouldn't trade you for anybody. You're phenomenal. Five bucks, Jack. Lead, <laughs> lead so as to benefit others, not yourself. And lastly, here's your last question. Who's leading? When we look at this story today, the reality is, in our homes, who should be leading? It should be God. It should be the Holy Spirit. In our churches, who should be leading? God, the Holy Spirit. In our nation, who should be leading? God. Okay? Sometimes that doesn't happen through leadership. So what, how, how, do, you, how do you deal with that? You help bring God into the equation. Peter wasn't ready. The circumcised party wasn't ready for what God's agenda was. And so Peter backed away and he said, go. You do it. And that's exactly what God did. And when God does the work, guess what? People fall silent and they glorify God. What a great message. What a great message. Let our leadership here be that kind of leadership. Let me close in prayer and I'm going to have the worship team come up and, and lead us in a response of worship. And uh, we've got some very exciting things to share with you today. And um, I promise for another six months I won't go on a rant walking around you. Did you notice that that was like my protest march? <laughs> Walking around. I needed a flag or something. That was awesome. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray. I'll have the worship band come up. Father, thank you today for the blessedness of your word and for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord God, that in your infinite wisdom, you choose some of us to lead in certain situations. You choose all of us to be in positions to affect others in, and to lead in a servant way. And that, Father, the, the, the parlance of this story is such that we look at Peter, the one who struggled with impulsiveness, <laughs> the one who, who saw himself as all that, that he says, look, I, I took myself out of the equation. simply witness what God was doing. Father, that we have leadership like that so that it unifies and destroys the conflict and the dividing walls all around. To you be the glory, Father. Amen.